Um, it's going to be a, a whole church thing. What I mean by that is we're going to look at eight weeks worth of different attributes of who God is. God is holy. God is just. God is loving. God is good. You see all those, those things. And each week we're going to look at a different one. And the idea is that it's going to permeate our church body. We're going to have uh, our adult classes. Each class every week is going to be focused on a, one of those attributes. Um, our youth class is going to be focused on that same attribute that week. Our children's classes that week is going to be focused on those same attributes. And then when we come together in here for worship, the sermon will be on that same attribute. Then we're going to give you some take-home sheets to uh, facilitate discussion, whether that's at the lunch table or uh, around your breakfast table or, or at home. And the idea is that as we come together as a body, we all come together with a, a, a coordinated, combined, mutual love and respect for who God is. And as we grow closer to God, we will in turn grow closer to one another. That's going to start the first Sunday in June. It is a series, but each lesson is a standalone lesson. We did that in the summer because I know that a lot of us travel. And, and sometimes you'll say, well, I don't want to go to class because I missed the last two. Every week is going to be a standalone lesson. So if you're gone a week, you can come the next week, not miss out on a thing. So I hope you'll be uh, plugged into that. It's going to be exciting. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. That's the Real God series that starts two weeks uh, on June the 2nd. Next week, we'll finish up our mixtape series uh, our series on marriage that we've been doing, um, and we're going to talk about uh, a final thing about covenant and about what marriage truly is, that marriage is, is a, a divine uh, uh, ordinance created by God. And um, hopefully you'll be here for that because at the lunch time during that time, we're going to celebrate a lot of our marriages that are uh, in this congregation. We're going to honor all those whose marriages are, uh, have been 50-plus years. That's, uh, that's a lot, surprisingly. Um, in our culture, there's not a lot of those, but in this congregation, there are. I wanted to put a special note in there. Um, if you're a widow or a widower and, and your marriage was 50-plus years, sign up. Because just because your spouse is no longer with us does not mean that you still don't deserve to be honored. Your marriage was still 50 years plus, and you still have things to offer the rest of us, and we don't want your wisdom to be neglected. So please sign up for that um, so that we can honor you. Um, hopefully, if you start thinking about now, um, I'm going to ask during that time that you have some words for those of us who are, are uh, still... Uh, on, on the, the shallow side of that 50-year pool. Um, hopefully you can give us some, some things that will help us to get to that milestone as well. So be thinking about that. Plan on being here next week for that, and uh, that will wind up this series. If you're visiting with us this morning, let me tell you what you've stumbled in the middle of. Um, after Spencer's admonition, you may be going, what in the world is happening here? We have been in a series talking about relationships. We've called it Mixtape, God's Playlist for Relationships. And as we've moved through this series, we've looked at different types of relationships, different things. This week, we're going to talk about uh, God's vision for sex. That's not something we're supposed to talk about at church. Um, but 
I believe that, that God created sex. God created this. So that's why we uh, gave the opportunity for some parents. Um, if you're not comfortable with your child uh, asking you what that means on the way home, I don't blame you. Um, you, you can go ahead and, and our people are set up to expect more children than normal. More than two-thirds of respondents in a survey in the United States responded that they now believe that sex between an unmarried man and an unmarried woman is morally acceptable. Interestingly, the, the 2015 results of that study were very different from a similar study back in 2013. Uh, globally, 36% of respondents in the United States said that premarital sex is not a moral issue. Only 29% responded that it was acceptable, and 30% stated that it was unacceptable. In another study, more than half of all adult single Americans have had a one-night stand at least once in their lives. Um, a slightly higher percentage than those who have had unprotected sex with someone um, regarding the number of sexual partners in a lifetime, Americans are slightly above the global average, earning them a solid 13th rank out of more than 30 countries surveyed. But you don't need statistics to tell you that our country is obsessed with sex. We, it's everywhere. We, uh, we see it everywhere. It's, uh, we, we use it to sell just about everything. If you turn on your television or, or, or look at print advertisements, um, you will find sex used to sell just about any kind of product, service you can imagine. Um, there are many people that we know in our society, and the only reason that they're famous is because of sex. Um, the only reason that you know who they are is, is sex. And, and it's not even that much different in the church. The church struggles with sex just as much as the society. We become just as obsessed as those around us. We want to hear more sermons on, on who can have sex with whom. We want to hear uh, about where and how and how much. And, and we encourage purity and preach abstinence. And, and we spend a lot of time and energy dealing with lust and dealing with sex and dealing with purity. Tony Campalo says that we are taught that sex is nasty, filthy, and dirty. And we should save it for the person we marry. Our divorce rates are still just as high as those in the world. You can leave the Kardashians, Brent, and move along. Um, we've, uh, our divorce rates are just as high as those in the world. Our sexual dysfunctions aren't any different than the people around us. We've become so focused on the form and the function of sex that we've lost its spirituality, that we've lost its beauty. When I was a youth minister, I'd have those smart kids, you know, those church kids who grow up, and they would argue that Jesus never said anything about premarital sex, so it must not be a big deal. And I would say, yeah, you're right, Jesus did not address premarital sex. Truthfully, if Jesus had addressed premarital sex, I would think that someone added that in at some point. Because in Jesus' time, premarital sex wasn't a thing. Um... Those people were married not long after puberty. 
So we're talking 13-year-olds who are being married. There wasn't a lot of opportunity for sex before that. Um, not long after puberty, their father, the father of, of the daughter and the father of the son would come together and make an arrangement and the two children would be brought together in an arranged marriage that they didn't really have anything to do with. There wasn't a lot of premarital sex in that society, so there wasn't really a whole lot of need to address that. Now, because those marriages were arranged, because those marriages didn't have a great deal of, of love or connection, there was a lot of adultery. There was a lot of people sleeping with people who weren't their husbands or who weren't their wives. And Jesus was not shy about talking about that. In fact, our text this morning is one of those occasions. Jesus is in the midst of teaching when some other religious leaders try to trap him. They come up to him and they want to they ask him one of those gotcha questions. Um, how do they do that? They throw out the hot button issue. They throw out the hot button issue where no matter how he answers, he will be trapped. In this culture at that time, it was divorce. And they threw out this question, however he answers, he's going to be wrong. Because uh, if he affirms that people can get divorced, then he goes against the Bible and the words of God itself. But if he staunchly condemns divorce, then he alienates a great segment of those people who are following him. So in their minds, they have presented Jesus with a no-win scenario. But it's Jesus. You don't get him like that. Matthew 19 is where we're going to be if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to start with verse 3. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to start with verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now let's stop right there for a second. Because in these brief six verses, I think we get an intimate glimpse of Jesus and consequently, I believe, God's view of sex. Look at what he says here. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Jesus goes all the way back to creation. He begins with creation because you and I are created to be sexual creatures. We are created to be sexual beings. We are created with a gender. Now, our society today will tell you that gender is a societal construct. But that's not scriptural. In the Bible, it says, and Jesus affirms, that we are made as men, we are made as women. Now, that doesn't mean that we hate or persecute those who struggle with their gender identity. We love them just like we love anybody else. But we affirm that God says, and Jesus affirms in the New Testament, that you were created as a man, you were created as a woman. 
But God doesn't give us these sexual identities, these genders, and, and create a hunger, create a desire with no food. We are created with a specific sexual makeup, physically, mentally, and emotionally. We are made as sexual creatures with sexual desires and needs that were put there by God. Jesus goes back to creation. God created us as male and as female. God created sex to be the way that men and women come together. And He said it is good. It's very good, He said. Now that in no means, in no way means that that we just abandon everything that we've been taught. What 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 there is still. Look at verse five. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God made you a sexual being. He gave you a sexual identity. He also made you with certain needs that go along with that sexual identity. But He didn't create hunger without food. He created you to find that sexual fulfillment in a covenant relationship. Whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, it's always pointing you back at what came before. And it's, it's a way of saying, because of this, then this. So, because you were created male and female, because you were created as a sexual being, God created a path for you to leave the confines and the safety of childhood and enter into a covenant relationship between husband and wife. The problem is is that we, as God's creation, have taken that creation of God and tried to make it into something that it's not. Instead of what it was created for, we've tried to turn it into what we want. In a comprehensive review of the status of research on casual sex, Kinsey Institute researcher Justin Garcia and his team from Binghamton University concluded that hookups are now part of the popular cultural shift that has infiltrated the lives of emerging adults throughout the westernized world. The, the studies show that these hookups... That, that these casual sexual relationships are becoming more and more common because sex is continually seen as just a physical act, like blowing your nose. It doesn't mean anything. That's the way people are being taught. However, what psychiatrists, psychologists, researchers are continually finding is that these hookups pose a significant threat to the psychological health of young individuals. In addition to the known risks of STDs and unwanted pregnancies and sexual assault, that they're finding that people who engage in casual sex suffer emotional consequences that they carry with them long after the details of the encounter has faded into a memory. On college campuses where, where sexual liaisons are present, unanticipated results are continually being shown to jeopardize a student's career. In the workplace, they're finding out that these casual hookups cause emotional problems between workforce employees and can lead to disastrous results. An article by Sacramento State University psychologist Melina Bersaman 
uh, that's being published in the, the Journal of Sex Research is based on a multi-campus study led by Miami University psychologist Seth Schwartz. In the article, Burstman finds that those who engaged in the hookup culture of easy relationships and one-night stands had greater levels of anxiety, depression, and overall life dissatisfaction than those who had not. What's more, study after study ties more and more mental health issues to our understanding of sexual relationships. Why? Because sex is powerful. God made it that way. God made sex to be something where a man and a woman will come together and become one flesh. It's not just talking about procreation. He's not just talking about having children. He's talking about sex being a powerful bonding tool that in a covenant relationship can bond a man and woman together intimately. When you open yourself up to that person, to another person, it's a powerful connection that's not made to be disposable. It's not intended to be casual. It's to build intimacy and connection between two people who have made covenant vows before God. People who are exclusively committed to one another for life because then the two become one. When we are, are involved in a sexual relationship with another person, we are at our most vulnerable. We open ourselves up in a way that we don't open ourselves up to anyone else. And that's designed to be in a place where the two people, the man and the woman, are committed to one another have made vows to one another before God to love, honor, and cherish one another. It is, it is to be found in that place because then those powerful bonds can knit you together. You can become one. How? How do you come one? Jesus says God joins them together. So think through this with me. Sex is an intimate connection between a man and a woman in a committed marital relationship joined together by God to become one. These, these bodies as Christians that we're given are filled with the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, and they join together so that this is not merely some dirty physical action, nor is it casual or disposable. It is, stay with me here, worship. What? Paul's later going to say that if you offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God, that this is your holy act of worship. Because, folks, we've got to get out of the idea that, that the only place worship happens is in the holy temple. Jesus did away with the temple. And so we've got this idea that worship only happens at 10 o'clock at 3737 Highway 30 West in Huntsville, Texas. And that's unscriptural. It's not true. Worship is our lives. We offer our bodies, our bodies that are filled with the Holy Spirit of God as living sacrifices. That means everything you do is a form of worship. That means your work is worship. That means your family is worship. And that means your intimate relationships between husband and wife are a form of worship. The body is the temple of God, not a building. Jesus says that when a man and woman come together in intimate relationship, within the bonds of marriage, that God knits them together in a way that is holy. 
So sex is more than the how. Sex is more than the why. It's an intimate form of koinonia worship that demonstrates not only the triune nature of God, that two become one, it also serves as a beautiful vision of the love of Christ and His bride, the church. Whoa. Right? So no wonder hookup culture leads to brokenness. Because God never intended sex to be disposable. God never intended sex to be something that's casual. God never intended something, sex to be just a physical act. God intended this to be a holy union in the form of His holy creation of matrimony. Now Jesus is going to go on and talk about divorce, but that's next week's sermon. Not divorce per se, but we're going to talk about the beauty of covenant marriage. What it means to be in a covenant relationship with another person. Next week, we're going to talk about what marriage is and why it's so important to God. But this is a part of it. You want to know why God's so hard on adultery? Because it's the corruption of this holy union. Not just of marriage. It's not about the physical action and what you do with the physical parts of your body. This is about a corruption of the sexual intimacy that is instituted by God Himself. You want to know why the Bible continually talks about the dangers of sexual immorality? Because when we join our bodies together in any way outside of the will of God, when we try to connect ourselves to a lover, to a hookup, to a prostitute, or a picture on the internet, we pervert the worship of God. That's scary. That's serious. So as Christians, we have to move away from this cultural view of sex. we got to stop being the people who are obsessed with the mechanics we got to stop being the people who are obsessed with the how and the why and refocus on the heart of what it truly is. Let's step away from the pharisaical rules and regulations, the perennial don't do this and don't do that, and let's hold up the true beauty of what God created. God created sex and called it good. The Bible, Song of Solomon, is a whole book about sex and about sexual attraction. Because God thinks that it's good. It's not filthy and dirty. It's made for a specific place, for a specific purpose. When we do that, when we honor God, when we worship God with our bodies, then we enter into a place of true worship. Now this morning, there are people in a room this size that are convicted by what you've heard. You've engaged in some form of of sexual sin, and the weight of that guilt hangs heavy on you. That's where those mental issues that we talked about come from. I'm not calling you to come forward this morning. You know that I always like to issue an invitation. I always like to give an opportunity for folks to come and let us pray with you and pray over you. I'm not going to do that this morning because of the embarrassment and the stigma that comes along with this type of sin. So you can relax. But I'm still going to offer an invitation. Because we're going to all stop and we're going to pray together. And I want you to pray with me. Whether you pray all the time or, or whether you feel like God can't hear your prayers because of where you are. I want you to pray with me. I want you to sit there and allow us as a body to pray over you. That's our invitation this morning. And if you're convicted by what you've heard, this is not Jeff talking to you. This is the Word of God. And if you're feeling that in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you this morning. 
And I want you to open yourself up to that. And as we pray, I want you to offer up your body to Him. God, I want you to take my body. I want to offer you my body as a living sacrifice. I want my life, my every breath, to be worshipped to you. We're going to go to God in prayer right now. When we're done, we're going to sing a song. If there's anything we can do for you, I encourage you to allow us to pray for you in any way. But right now, we're going to pray together. Bow with me, please. Our Father in heaven, we praise your name. We offer you glory and honor and praises to you above all else in our world. Only a great and perfect God would design such a beautiful way for us to connect with one another. Only an amazing and perfect God would bind us in such a physical, emotional, and spiritual way. We praise you for that. We offer you glory and honor for the amazing way that you've created us. And Lord, we come to you humbly this morning and we confess to you that we mess stuff up. We get caught up in the mechanics. We get caught up in policing other people's sex. We get caught up in a culture that thinks thinks sex is more important than anything else. And Lord, we repent of that. We come to you humbly and confess that we have been guilty of sexual immorality. We have been guilty of taking your beautiful creation and making it into something base. We have been guilty of lusting in our hearts and 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 making your perfect creation, your perfect tool for intimacy and covenant relationship into something dirty. And we repent of that. Lord, we ask you this morning to help us have kingdom eyes. Help us have kingdom hearts. Let us focus on knowing you with our bodies as we proclaim your kingdom to a lost and dying world. Help us to find worship in all that we do and to honor you with our bodies. Help us to offer ourselves wholly unto you as living sacrifices. Bless us, Lord. Hear our prayers this morning. As we pause, if you're convicted in your heart this morning, I want you to pray. Father, I lift up my body to you. Accept my body as a living sacrifice. We all come together in this prayer. We all lift up all these things to our God and Father in the perfect name of Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. My.